Hello and welcome to the February edition of the Mind and Soul podcast where we're going to be looking at the mental health of church leaders. Today by by Will van der Hart, who's one of the other um, directors of Mind and Soul, and Will is uh, a, a jobbing parish priest or, or vicar. Uh, <laughs> jobbing, I'm not sure church. about that. <laughs> he um, he he's basically spends most of his time not working on Mind and Soul, but but um, helping run helping run the local church. So he's he's ordained as a reverend. And uh, well, do you want to just tell us very quickly what what it means to be a ordained minister in the Church of England? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm working seven days a week, Rob, not one day a week with six days rest. So uh, <laughs> that's what I tell people anyway, apart from when they see me on the riverbank casting a fly. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm currently the Associate Vicar of St Mary's Bryanston Square and we have about 2,000 members. So we see about 1,400 people every Sunday. Wow. So that's quite a, quite a big old place. And then I pastor 40 members of staff. Um, and I've just got a new job in, actually in, uh, in Harrow. So I'm going to be moving to Harrow in the summer. I'm going to be vicar of St Peter's West Harrow, so if anyone listening is uh, nearby, then uh, very, very welcome to come and come meet with us. Um, and it's yeah. a very interesting church. It's an interesting Peter's church, Harrow. yeah, it is. It's got actually, it's got a, um, a very successful um, GP surgery in the building. Six GPs, and they're all Christians, and they offer prayer at the end of every consultation. And uh, we're also running an emotional healing centre there as well. So um, Mind and Soul might have a little bit of a, a concrete base as well as um, a web presence. So it's, yeah, it's an exciting job and really looking forward to it. Okay, so just we, we, we've talked quite a lot in this podcast, and there's lots of articles on the on the site about um, you know the overlap between Christianity and mental health. But what I wanted to do in this interview is perhaps really get into why pastors are, are struggling with with their mental health, and and in particular, one of the things that I was thinking about is wh- why is it that this has been a very untouched topic in in the evangelical church. Uh, some of the other traditions have been very involved in in social action or meditation for for a long period of time but why is it that the evangelical church is is so bad in looking at this whole issue of mental and emotional health well i think the evangelical church has got a very split view of the self really um and i've certainly um, been subject to this so i'm not i'm not uh, throwing stones I'm, I'm i'm aware of my own uh views on, on on the self and we have very sort of you know if we if it's in the bible we we obviously believe it take it on board and sort of enforce ourselves away uh, and say well this is what the bible says this is what i'm choosing to believe this is what i'm choosing to do so um this attitude is, is obviously, you know, to a level, it's the right thing that we choose biblical foundational belief over our own assessment of ourselves. But at the same time, we often do that to the detriment of ourselves. So it's easy to say, for example, I've got a sinful attitude about um, timekeeping. I need to adopt a new attitude. I need to work harder, longer, and more determined for the kingdom of God and stop being selfish and wasteful with my time. So that attitude, could you could say, is a biblical attitude uh, to adopt a new, fresh, determined attitude about the use of your time. The trouble is that, of course, if you're failing to recognize uh, that you actually need a level of ambiguity in your time scale, that you need to treat yourself kindly, that you need to take regular breaks because you aren't 
able to work that hard, that fast and that long, your mental health will actually suffer. And so we have to be careful that we're not adopting biblical precedents, um, which actually are having a seriously negative effect on our mental health. Now, that's not the same thing, but it's often assumed to be the same thing as accepting slothful attitudes or poor attitudes or even sinful attitudes and saying that those are okay. We're not saying that's the case. We're saying that Jesus loves us as people. He's created us. He knows us and he wants us to treat ourselves gently as he treats us. And I think church leaders are often their harshest critic. They often undervalue themselves and actually they're very weak at showing themselves the sort of love that Jesus would show them. And as a result of their weakness to show love to themselves, they can also be very poor at showing love to other people. Uh, they can assess, set extremely high standards uh, for people around them and, and actually not treat people uh, as, as gently as, as they might. There's lots of oughts in this, aren't there? So, uh, you know, a, a, a church leader might say something, I've, I've been called by God, therefore I ought to work hard at it, or I've, I've had all this training, therefore I, I ought to be putting my all into it, or as the local vicar, I, I ought to be available um, 24 hours a day and um, you know perhaps pursuing that to the extent that is not actually manageable anymore interesting you say that Rob I had a a coffee with a very prominent church leader yesterday and uh, he's working extremely long hours and he's doing amazing things and I said surely this must be taking a big toll on you and he said to me he said Will I've been called into this maybe even to lose my life Jesus didn't call me uh, to sit around he said that the cost was going to be great he whoever loses his life for my sake shall keep it shall find it now He's preaching back to me a very important biblical truth. He who loses his life uh, for my sake will truly find it. But if if this is applied uh, in sense in in a, in this in this kind of a way, um, there's big questions to ask. Now, I'm not for a minute going to sit here and say that I don't believe that God sustains and provides for our needs. Uh, I believe that's absolutely true. But I think and I think ministry is very hard and very costly. I know that's true. I've experienced that myself. But but I don't necessarily think that Jesus has called us to live recklessly with ourselves so that we might suffer emotionally and mentally of our own volition, because actually I think ministry in itself provides opportunities for us to suffer emotionally and mentally through the volition of the enemy who we're fighting. And of course, if if it was at the level where, yes, you know, we're, we're all called to, to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, we're all called to make personal costs and, and many of us many people do that in, in, in their service to the church or they may do it in uh, you know if they're not a, a church employee they, they may feel that God has called them into a particular job you know I, I feel to a certain extent that God has called me to, to be a psychiatrist and I, I will go the extra mile sometimes in, in that field to do that but I think one of the one of the sort of statistics that, that I've come across recently is that if you look at clergy time off um, 25% of clergy time off is, is due to depression and my understanding of depression as a psychiatrist is that depression is not particularly helpful in helping you achieve the goals that you might want to have set. So as a result of this overcommitting and working these long hours, if the person actually becomes depressed, it's self-defeating. Yes, yes, we ought to perhaps put ourselves out and, 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 and try to achieve what we can. But if, if that's the point where we're suddenly sort of wiped out or taken off the playing field as a, as a casualty... Um, 
that surely is 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 not helpful. Um, I remember uh, there's an amazing lady called Marjorie Foyle who used to be a um, who used to be a, a, a missionary in India, but also a, a psychiatrist. And she wrote a book called Honorably Wounded, and she wrote about um, people who are are who become depressed, who become psychiatrically unwell in the service of the kingdom. And one of the things that she points out very clearly is that. What that effectively means is 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 that, that, that there's going to be a time when when your ministry is not going to be doing as much as it could, and if you had been doing slightly less for those previous years and learning how to to manage your emotional health and learning how to manage your workload, you might actually be able to stay, sustain a far longer period in ministry yeah. rather than sort of going at it all guns blazing for three or four years and then becoming depressed and being unable to function for for several years after that. I think that's really true, Rob. I mean, I just was thinking that I started this article when you said what do you do as a vicar I said oh, I work seven days a week not the one day a week with six days of rest you have, you have a day off you mentioned you I have two days off a week Rob I believe that vicars should work five days a week <laughs> spend one of those days with their families and, and, and one uh, you know just just recovering maybe spending some time on their own it's an interesting question perhaps for listeners is uh, do you know if, if, if you go to church do you know when your pastor's day off is because the chances are it's a Tuesday or, or a Thursday and if you're ringing up the church office and yeah. asking to speak to that person on their day off and, and you're put through what effect is that going to have on their mental health I mean I'd say the vicars shouldn't have their phone on on their day off now, th- and this is this is very interesting because we, we're going to talk about being put on a pedestal uh, but just to give you some of the reactions I've had uh, on my time off I remember um, quite an embarrassing incident of going to my local gym which I enjoy going to and on my day off and um, going into the sauna and uh, there was someone there from my church who was sitting there and uh, I opened the door of the sauna and I said oh hello and their jaw dropped and they said oh you're you're going to the sauna uh in the day Uh, and I said yes uh yeah it's my it's my day off and uh anyway they looked very bemused and I felt very uncomfortable and for a moment quite guilty as if I shouldn't be in I shouldn't be in the sauna I shouldn't be having this rest time uh in the day and um and and it's interesting really because that 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 sort of reaction creates a reaction in yourself which is apologetic um I've had very many instances I remember uh, as well popping to um, Sainsbury's to do some shopping and uh, in, in the day on my day off and meeting one of the mums from the church and uh, and she was at the pay barrier at the same time as me and she said oh you're shopping are you you're just doing the shopping you're not in the church and I said yeah I, I'm actually doing my shopping and vicars have to get some shopping in too um, so it's, it's interesting the reactions that you get are often actually that you are a sort of superhero character who, who actually almost shouldn't be having some time off and I know that's only people's projections and it's actually probably not their intent to make you feel bad but actually these sort of these sort of instances do create a sense of guilt in you where you think oh well maybe I'm maybe I'm taking the mickey and I need to um I need to stay in the office a little bit longer mm-hmm. and uh, I mean of course this is there's another whole group out there which is the spouses of, of, sure. of clergy and you know, there's the um, archetypal picture of, of the vicar's wife who is, is constantly there, um, you know, doing things for the parish, baking cakes, running coffee mornings. And, of course, that role might have changed and modernised significantly over time. Yeah, I hope my wife's not listening to I, this. <laughs> She'll hit you with a big stick. <laughs> but I think things have changed. But often often the, the, the pastor's wife or the vicar's wife sure. or, or husband, of course, is, 
is often expected to be totally available and yeah. on call and always expected to be at church and expected to be a, a pastoral expert and, and a listening ear as well. You know, if, if, sure. if the vicar's too busy, I'll go and talk to the vicar's spouse and see if they've got some time. I mean, I think that, that, that there's, there's pros and cons with that. I mean, it's very interesting. If you think in the past that a clergy wife or clergy husband of, uh, no, it's actually not the old days because it's only, women have only been in, ordained relatively recently, but in traditional times, this idea was that you know, obviously the clergy wife is at home baking cakes and looking after her husband. Now, from a psychotherapeutic level, there was a level of benefit there because the husband was with his wife. There was a sense of community and mutual nurture. Now, that's actually gone. Um, now, that's not to say that the wife wasn't also having an extremely costly experience, but actually as a team, clergy maybe were more supported, certainly where there was marriage, although that wasn't, obviously, it's not uniform. Now, uh, for example, my wife is a very successful journalist and works extremely hard. So she's certainly not at home baking cakes, although people assume that she is or that she should be if she's not, uh, you know, out working. So she's actually under pressure too psychologically as a as a working successful woman and also as my wife. But also I have a more... Um, separate experience where my wife is working and and I respect her for her professional skill as she respects me with mine so we are under a new pressure which means actually you haven't got this community at home idea of being team but uh, we're a team but uh, as a as a married couple who are both professionals mm. so there is a new pressure I'd say as well where um, assumptions of the clergy wife are not necessarily going to be met uh, in the traditional way but also there is an effect as in we, we now have two working parents and uh, you know the, the, there are new uh, pressures in that area too so being a clergyman or a clergy woman that obviously goes for, for, for female clergy now whose husbands might also be working full-time uh, there there's a new pressure to be professional to um, to fulfill expectation and also to have a healthy relationship a healthy marriage and be healthy parents so there's a fair bit of pressure there to say Generally, just be absolutely amazing in every area of your life and have no personal or moral <laughs> at all. Of course. Very interesting because, of course, if you look at the people who were leaders in the Bible, most of them had relatively serious emotional issues at some level, yeah. uh, which had an impact on their ministry at some level. I suppose one, one of the questions I wanted to, to ask is who do you talk to about this? You know, could you. Could you say to people, uh, actually, I'm really struggling at the moment, or I need some time off, or is this something that you can bring up with, um, I suppose you know, the term would be line manager, but, you know, is this someone who, who you talk to, your, your boss or, or the bishop about? Well, I can talk to you, Rob, because you're my friend. Ah, right. <laughs> That's great. I've got my own personal psychiatrist. Indeed. Um, I'm very expensive. You are expensive, goodness. Um, now, I th- you know, I think this is absolutely key. What we're talking about here is expectation. Now, you can live your life choosing to try and meet other people's expectation, in which case I'd give you about three or four years before you suffer extreme uh, mental or emotional health issues. Alternatively, you can choose to live up to Jesus' expectation, which is actually just to follow him and to be a humble servant, in which case I can, I can guarantee you a life uh, of, of relationship with him where he does meet your needs. You have to choose not to try and meet the expectations of the world, but to only meet Jesus' expectation, and that's for you to be you. And if you live like that, you do live healthily. It doesn't mean you won't hurt sometimes, but it does mean you'll live a healthier life. Getting away from false expectation... 
and realizing who you are as a person, how you actually can operate, what, what healthy rhythms of life work for you. They're, they're the most important things that you can get right as a leader. And it might take you a number of years to get those right. And sometimes we need other people to help us. Now, when I started uh, in ministry, I had no mentors. I was like a sort of, I was like a horse in a horse box getting ready to go for a, a great sprinting race. And I was kicking the door down, ready to go. And as soon as the door opened, I was out of the blocks and I was doing 60 miles an hour in 30 seconds. And, uh, you know, I remember thinking at the end of my first year of ministry, how am I going to sustain this for 40 years? Oh my goodness, I'm going to die. And I think at that moment, I really realized something's got to change. I now have four mentors. You might think that's excessive, but I think it's absolutely perfect. So I have one mentor who deals with my work issues. I have one mentor who mentors me personally. I have one mentor who supports me and my wife in our relationship. And I have one mentor who's a kind of a visionary person who keeps me tuned in to the spirit and aware of what God might be doing in the future. So these different people they contribute to my life they don't take from me they actually offer something to me and they pray for me and they give me the space to think about my life and myself and give me permission to journey with them and to really see what God is doing. Now, being invested in as a leader is one of the most key things you could possibly choose for yourself, but it's something you have to choose. No one's going to foist themselves onto you and say, hey, let me invest in you. Mm. Um, actually, you have to say to people, look, will you invest in me? Life's hard. Ministry is challenging. I need some investment. So that's what I do. One of the things that we're going to do in a bit on this podcast is give people some sort of practical tips about actually how to get some of these things for mental health established. And that just reminds me of one of them, which is that if you've got important meetings scheduled in your diary with, with, with people where it's perhaps not an urgent meeting and it doesn't have to happen that day. It could happen next week. Um, but it, it, it's not an urgent meeting. Something more important often seems to be coming up and you end up cancelling that. And um, I, I suppose, you know, as a psychiatrist, I get asked questions of sometimes about time management. And um, one of the illustrations I use is, is if you've got a, a lawnmower, if you just start mowing lawns and never service the lawnmower then eventually after let's say you've mowed 50 lawns or something something's going to work loose and the lawnmower is going to explode and it might actually sort of break itself and damage itself whereas if after you've mowed every five six lawns you you clean the lawnmower you perhaps tighten up the odd bolt that kind of thing then the chances are that lawnmower will be a very effective lawnmower for, for five or ten years and i see a lot of people who are always cancelling and it's often the, the, either the, the, the important but not urgent things, like the meeting with the mentor, that course they always meant to do. Um, or sometimes it's the fun things like um, going out for a drink with a, with a good buddy or getting a bit of fresh air or some exercise. And those things always seem to get cancelled first. And of course, what you're left with then is a week that's 100% full of stressful, urgent um, sometimes important stuff but sometimes let's face it stuff that other people think's important uh, and, and you don't think's important or maybe even isn't important at all it just seems to oh I've got to fit that meeting in because that's the only way I can keep that particular person quiet and what tends to get cancelled is your chance to spend go out on a date with your wife or chance to uh, spend some time down at the gym relaxing is that something you'd identify with? I, I really identify that you know I mean everyone's different but uh, someone told me very early on, on in 
online ministry, oh, you know, you make lists, make lists all the time, you know, make sure you write everything down and then you can't forget it. This was some of the worst advice I'd ever received, list making. List making is, is, is tying yourself like to a ball and chain and dragging it around with you. What I've realised is list making means it makes things that are unnecessary necessary. And actually coming to the end of a list doesn't provide you with any respite, it just provides you with another list. And so actually I decided to make a conscious effort to stop writing lists. And um, goodness, I thought this is very, this is very reckless advice from Mind Soul podcast. It is reckless advice. And the reality is this, if something is important, you will remember it. If it's not important, you won't remember it. And actually allowing yourself to forget some of the unimportant things is very important permission. I actually find that I remember the important things that I need to do. Now, I might have a rough note of them, but I don't put them in a list form. And then the things that I might think I should do or have been told I've got to do but I don't think are very important, I actually forget about doing. Now, someone might pick me up and say, send me another email, say, hey, you forgot to do this, in which case I probably will get it done. But there's so many things in ministry that we're told we have to do or we should do or we feel we ought to do, which actually are completely unnecessary. We need to let God dictate the important things that we need to do each day and, and not dictate to ourselves a great long ball and chain uh, that we have to get through. We're not a machine, we're a person who needs to be sensitive to God's spirit. So I, I like to try and uh, maintain a level of openness. And, and I've, I feel that spending time with God every day is deeply refreshing. So if you are a minister listening to this podcast, have a think about how lists might dominate your life and think about maybe being more sensitive to what God might be saying. He might be leading you out into the park for a long walk and a pray. That might do more for your mental wellness uh, than achieving any length of list. And of course um, it might actually do significantly more for your church you know, absolutely in touch with this God. is the thing i mean the, we, we have such a commodity-based view of one another uh, and i think this has permeated churches this is really a capitalist model we view people as commodities we treat them as commodities someone is useful to me because they do x someone is useful to me because they do y and uh, clergy fall into this whole role too they treat they can treat members of their congregation like a commodity someone's good at worship someone's good at speaking someone's good at cleaning up someone's good at doing the flowers jesus hasn't called us to treat each other as commodities he's called us into story into being narrative with one another so we actually are participants in life together we're journeying together and i think if you treat others like a commodity you're likely to treat yourself as a commodity and as a church leader it's not your job to achieve task after task after task and be an effective commodity your 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 real power your purpose is actually to journey with god in relationship and lead god's people into journey in relationship with god so it's a very simple remit really for a job which can end up being producing the website, producing the worship rotor, producing the coffee rotor, pr- producing the tea rotor, mm. doing the maintenance, pr- project, producing the sermon. You know, it, it, it's actually very hostile to, to, to emotional wellness, and it's hostile to the kingdom of God, which is based not on productivity, but it's based on partnership, corporeal action, man and God, journeying together for the extension of the kingdom. I think this sort of leads into one of the other things that we were thinking in in, in terms of tips to um, help with your emotional health. And if you are a clergyman, I think one of the inescapable facts is that people are going to come to you with questions, pressures, problems, and you need to find a way of managing that, Um, you know, guarding your day off, um, perhaps having two phone lines in the house, one for work and and one for... um, 
one one for, for things that are not to do with work. You know, I, I, I think this is really important, actually. I think, I think clergy are allowed two phone lines. You can have a work line. And then you can have a, a line for friends and family because friends and family are not the same as the congregation. And I think that sometimes think, oh, I need to be accessible to everybody. Whereas, no, in actual fact, Jesus wasn't like that. Jesus had times when he was just alone with God. He had times when he was only accessible to Peter, James, and John. He had time when he was only accessible to to the Twelve. And um, I think, you know, sometimes clergy are quite... They might say, oh, I have to give my phone number out to absolutely anybody who asks. It's like, well, no, you don't. Actually, there's ways to managing that. You can you can give out your, your work phone number to anyone who asks, but you can turn that phone off and you perhaps have a second phone line in the house or another mobile, which, which you actually keep for, for people who who over time you have grown to trust and who understand that you need time and space as well and won't phone you on your day off or, or won't or they understand that you are a human being who has ups and downs in your emotions as well. I think that's really key, Robert. This all goes back to identity really, doesn't it? It's it's what does your job say about you? Now, the trouble about ministry is that becoming a priest, becoming a church leader of any sort, is an identity role, unlike being a teacher or a policeman. When you're off duty, you're not off duty. You're still a vicar. At the end of the day, what you do in your private life is as important as what you do in your public life. Uh, there's not this sort of dualism as there are in other professions. When you go home, you're still a vicar. It doesn't matter if you take off your dog collar, you're still a vicar. Um, and we, we, we have to understand that our, our identity is actually our identity and actually that our job isn't this pervasive dominating identity. And so it's true that you are a vicar, whether you've got your dog collar on or off, but it's not true that you have to be in role 24-7. You see, the difference between being, uh, being a priest in role and being a priest out of role doesn't mean obviously you're going off getting completely hammered and you know smoking drugs and living this crazy life because now you're not a vicar anymore (laughs) but it it does mean that that there is a distinction between your work role and your personal life and I'd say that Jesus command to you is to engage with your family and to love uh, spending time alone with God and spend time alone with yourself now what's your identity then do you need to have your phone on 24-7 so you can keep being sacrificial do you need to keep your phone on so people can always contact the vicar if if that's how you feel then ask yourself about how your identity is formed and what makes you distinctively you when you're in role and when you're not in role can you see a clear distinction i think this is one of the key things for mental and emotional health for church leaders is actually can people see a difference in you in role and out of role now a lot of clergy have got lost in this because they've thought people shouldn't be able to see a difference in me when i'm in role and out of role now what they're thinking there is when people see me out of role they shouldn't see me you know drunk or involved in inappropriate relationships of course that's true that's just sin that's the normal christian this is the christian distinction but the difference between being in role and out of role is actually what you're doing with your time do you think for example that when you're out of role people shouldn't see you enjoying yourself you know should you look somber all the time or should you look stoic like you're on your way to a meeting i've met clergymen who wander around with the bible under their arm all the time whatever they're doing just so people think that they might be on their service of the Lord. It is quite difficult to dig the uh, potato patch in the back garden with a Bible under your arm, isn't it? <laughs> or, change, or change the baby's nappy. Extremely or, hard. Uh, water ski, or maybe drive. You definitely shouldn't drive. Sure, you shouldn't drive with no one. Don't drive with the Bible under your arm if you listen to this in the car. But, but th- this is the difficulty, you know, is... is 
is that people's projections of how you should be are so quickly adopted into how you feel you ought to be. And these are the shoulds and the must and the oughts. Lots of these should, musts and oughts, they, they, they come from, uh, they, they actually sit behind various mental and emotional health issues. If we live like we should, we must and we ought 24-7, then we'll end up denying our personalities uh, any space to breathe and instead formulating and pressing ourselves into being a sort of caricature of ministry. One of the things we're hoping as a result of listening to this podcast is that um, some clergy are actually going to start making changes in their lives and if people want their stress levels and their emotional health levels to change then practical things need to change as well there's no good talking about it at the end of the day some changes have to be made the the, the difficulty with making changes is that this is going to change the way that you relate to your congregation uh, relate to people who you are you are doing ministry with so something might have to be have to be said to them and um one of the illustrations that I know clergy sometimes use is the um, illustration in, in, in the Gospels where Jesus was walking down a road and a woman who'd had a, a bleeding disorder for, for 12 years came up and touched him and Jesus said that he felt the power go out of him. He felt the power leave him and it was an acknowledgement that, um, that he had... Uh, given something to that consultation i know lots of clergy who who when they have when they are having to spend time with people who are at the moment struggling or or needing support it's actually acknowledging that there is an emotional cost that comes with that Uh, a more modern day illustration that i heard somebody use was um, about jump leads and having to start a car and he told a time he told about a time when he was a, a young lad he just got his driving test and he just got a car and he wanted to take his girlfriend to the pictures and this really was an absolutely old heap of a car that he had and the battery was completely flat on it so he always had to to park it on a hill so what he'd do is he'd drop his girlfriend off at the cinema have to go and find a hill to park the car on so that he could start the car at the end of the pictures and take her home or the other thing he used to do was to keep a set of jump leads in the street so if he couldn't start his car he could say to someone excuse me i'm really sorry my battery's flat please can you give me a pair of jump leads uh, or please please can you jump start my car and the other person may say oh I'm terribly sorry I haven't got any jump leads and he'd say oh it's alright I have and he his car was in such a state that he either had to park it on a hill or he had to keep a set of jump leads in his car and I think what he realised was that he'd had this car for about a couple of years and he thought I cannot drive a car like this for the rest of my life because if it's, it's a real pain in the backside having to try and find a hill or trying to find someone who's got a full battery for me to latch onto every single time I need to get started. So he made a commitment to, to get a car with a better battery and eventually he bought a more modern car and then he's had a number of cars since. And I suppose the point he was sort of saying is sometimes that can be what it's a bit like him doing for a pastor is that you know he'll have finished his sermon, he'll be walking towards the back of church or something and suddenly he'll feel, ow! As a pair of jump leads that someone has just attached to my backside. And you can feel the emotional energy draining to him while he has to have that conversation. And then he'll walk another few metres and suddenly, ouch, you know, the jump leads have been attached to his backside again and the emotional energy is being taken by that person. Because his battery, he's now got to a point where, where his car is, is full and it's got a functioning battery. But there's lots of people in the congregation who, who haven't got functioning batteries. And I suppose the point that he was trying to make was that it's not wrong to ask people for help or to go through a time in your life when 
you do need to jumpstart your battery on a regular basis. You do need to take emotional energy from other people. And if you're listening to this podcast today and you're going through a stage like that in your lives where you are depressed and anxious and you are needing to draw from other people more than you're giving at the moment, there is nothing wrong with that being a situation for a stage in your life. We've all had times when we've owned cars that have been a bit ropey and kept breaking down. That is not a problem. But what I think what he was saying was trying to get his church to a point where people were self-starters, their batteries were, were, were full. If they noticed that they had a regular battery problem and kept having to sort of latch onto someone else and receive emotional energy from them, that they recognised that and did something about it. So I guess what I'm saying in a roundabout kind of way is that if we're going to deal with the mental health of pastors, we also have to deal with the mental health of the church because those things go, go hand in hand. Yeah, I think that's really true. I, I think an emotionally healthy pastor actually models emotional health to his congregation too. I, I just give you some practical advice. Uh, I'd say how important it is that as a, as a leader that you don't pretend that you do more than you do. Actually, lots of leaders feel slightly guilty. Um, and so they, they don't talk about holidays. Or if they, you know, if they go away on holiday, they, they don't really announce it. Uh, you know, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm just off for a, for, for a week. I'm, I'm away next week. But they don't say, I'm going away on holiday. I'm really looking forward to it. They don't talk about it. I, I'd say start talking about your leisure activities. They include uh, illustrations from leisure time. You say, I was playing golf the other day, or I was fishing the other day, or I was out with my family at a, a pleasure park the other day. We were, we, were, we were on the roller coaster, and this is what happened. Talk about your leisure time and your pleasure time. After all, we're trying to model healthy family, too, to the people who we're ministering to. So if, if, if parents don't think that you're taking a holiday, uh, they won't necessarily feel good about themselves taking a holiday. I think it's important that we kind of begin to talk about our integrated lifestyles in the church. I think it's also it's very important that that there are physical expressions of relaxation and you know I, I understand the dichotomy about clergy attire and I, I, you know I, I think different people have different views about this but I think it's actually important to wear your office clothes to the office but wear your home clothes in the home if you don't come home from church or from your church office and slip into a pair of jeans and a t-shirt something that you feel comfortable in then actually you're saying to yourself I'm still in professional mode and as such I'm not really enabling myself to relax so I think choosing to wear um, relaxation stuff when you're relaxing and clergy stuff when you're when you're in role actually helps you to divide up your time more effectively. I think it's important also to make sure that your time is divided into portions. Find a hobby or a creative aspect of your life which you can enjoy and invest some time in that every day. Now different people do different things. Some people like writing, some people find like painting, some people like reading books, listening to music, whatever it is. Find the thing that you actually enjoy and spend some time doing it every day. I think music is incredibly healing and I don't mean just listening to Christian music. Listen to things that make you laugh, things that you enjoy, things that help you to relax. Try and do things that actually give you quiet in yourself several times a day uh, and spend time with friends who know you outside of role too. Don't spend all of your time with people who want something from you. I, I, I have a great time with non-Christian friends who don't want anything from me. They think it's weird that I'm a priest. So if I spend time with them, I know that they don't want anything from me. They want me to shut up about all things religious and they want me just to talk about the things that I enjoy doing. These sort of relationships can be very healing and very good for you if you're in ministry. So I think on that note, we better advise you to stop listening to this podcast and go and have some fun.
Absolutely. But we just want to mention one thing that is coming out in the April edition of Christianity Magazine. There's going to be a big article about the mental health of pastors. Um, Rowan Williams, Archbishop of Canterbury, is is contributing, as are also Will and myself from Mind and Soul. So we'd encourage you to look at Christianity Magazine in the April edition. You can get it online or from most Christian bookshops. And thank you very much for listening to this podcast. And Have fun. Go party. <laughs> okay, Amen. bye. Bye. <laughs>